0: Welcome back to the Rob Skinner podcast. My goal is to inspire you to live a no regrets life, to make this life count, and to multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Today, I have the pleasure of having on my podcast, Joel Nagel from East Lansing, Michigan. Joel, welcome to the program.
1: Hey, thanks for having me, Rob.
0: Joel, the theme today is how to bring a church back to life, and there's... This is one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on is the work that you've done in East Lansing is absolutely inspiring to me. Uh, you've, you've led it for 20 years or so. And I'm sure we'll cover this. Uh, you've taken it from the very beginning of where it was at. And then it went through a period of stagnation, lack of growth, and then you revived it under the same leadership. And that's, what's so impressive. Uh, Joel, Joel lives uh, right in the center of Michigan in East Lansing. Uh, he's married. He's got two daughters, and his story reminds me of one from Ezekiel chapter thirty-seven, the Valley of Dry Bones. I'm going to read that right now. In Ezekiel thirty-seven, in verse one, the hand of the Lord was on me, and He brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord, and sent set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I'll put breath in you and you'll come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound. And the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet a vast army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you then you my people will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from there. I will put my spirit in you and you will live, and I will settle you in your own land. Then you know, then you will know that I the Lord have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. Long passage, but one that represents well the work that Joel Nagel has done in East Lansing, Michigan. Joel led the church since its inception. He went through years of little or no growth and brought then brought it back to life. And we're going to find out today what he learned, how he took those dry bones and brought them back to life through the power of God, and how we can take spiritual situations that we might be in right now that resemble the Valley of Dry Bones and see God bring it back to life. Joel, how did you become a Christian? If you just give me briefly your, your story.
1: Well, my parents uh, joined the Detroit Church of Christ right when it was planted, uh, when I was nine years old. And then, uh, and they're, they're amazing. They, uh, I think really set a great example, um, of like, as a, as like a nine-year-old a preteen, I got to see them turn their lives around and repent. Um, and so when I was 14, I wanted to study the Bible, uh, and got baptized and, uh, been a disciple ever since.
0: That's great. That's fantastic. Now, how did you, did you grow up in this church in East Lansing, Michigan?
1: So I, I grew up in the Detroit church, and then uh, I went to Michigan State, which is about an hour, hour and a half from Detroit. Uh, I tried to get into Michigan, but I didn't get in. So I was a, I'm what's called a salty Spartan. Uh, and, uh, and so but they, and they had you know, a larger ministry there that's closer to Detroit. But at Michigan State, there were only like seven people, and we would drive down to Detroit for every uh, worship service and stay connected uh, when I was a student. Um, And then it started to grow as a campus ministry. uh, And we had uh, like an intern that would come and we started having our own services and it kind of slowly turned into this little church uh, on its own.
0: Okay. So it was essentially a campus ministry at Michigan State and it morphed into a self-standing church. Is that right? Yep. And so you were a recent graduate and then you just kind of fell into the position of being the church leader?
1: Yeah, basically, uh, the, the person who was there, uh, got hired, um, to work with another one of our churches. And, uh, so I got a phone call. I said, Hey, can you, can you just start leading it? And I've been doing it ever since no one else has called me. So I'm just going (laughs) to (laughs) keep, keep waiting for that phone call. Like, are you still out there?
0: Well, what year was that Joel? Uh, that was, uh, January, 2002. Okay. So 2002, you were around 20 at that time. Yep. 21. Yep. Oh my gosh. And leading a church at 21. That's, that's awesome. (laughs) And single. Oh boy. Okay. Lots of good, long, quiet times there. Now, now, now how big was the ministry at that time? And then it, I understand it went through a period of of growth. It it did pretty well there at the beginning.
1: Yeah. So we were, you know, the ministry was like seven and then it grew up to about 30. Okay. uh, Great. And those first, couple of years. And then we got officially planted as a church. um, And then it just stayed stuck in the 30s, low 30s for about five years. Wow.
0: Okay. Now, again, how far is this from Detroit? Is it an hour drive away? Yeah, a little over an hour. Okay. So you're too far to really kind of reconnect basically you've got to like, either sink or swim.
1: Yeah, and this was the the mid-2000s, so there wasn't a whole lot of reconnection going on. So right. we were kind of on an island a little bit.
0: Okay, all right. So wh- what was the low point of the church? You're, you get to about 30. What did it look like? How did it feel for you?
1: You know, um, I, it felt like we were just stuck. It wasn't that we weren't trying. Like, we really wanted to grow, and I think that... Uh, you know i really i think me and also just our, our core group of leaders even back then we believed that god's churches should grow um, and so for it not to be happening even though we were trying it kind of felt a little bit like we were missing out on a promise from god uh which is which is tough so we would keep talking about it like when it gets growing or when we figure it out but we didn't know what it was Um, and, uh, or what it would look like when it actually started growing. We were just, we just, I think stayed very hopeful even, uh, in the, in the slower times.
0: That that's amazing that you stuck with it. There must've been times when you thought, I'm, I'm out of here. I'm going to give up on this. I'm going to, you know, can't pay me enough to, to handle this kind of pressure. Tell me about your thought process.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, even when it wasn't growing, uh, we were still, you know we'd still have some great people come into the church there's just also people leaving at the same time and it was, i mean overall it's pretty stable but some of the people who got baptized in the slower times are still some of our most faithful members because uh they got baptized during a time when you know it wasn't like this awesome church that uh that's grown like crazy and so there's there's good in all that
0: hmm. wow well. Well, okay, so it went through a, about a five-year period of, of stagnation. And I think for many of us, Joel, this is where it's so inspiring because I've been part of churches that have plateaued, and it is really frustrating. And everyone feels it. It's often the unspoken elephant in the room that the church yeah. has has capped out. It's hit the ceiling. Uh, you, you gain a few. You lose a few. You, you have some people move in. You have some people move out. But you, you feel like you're just treading water what did you do practically to turn your church around and now now how big is your church now what are we talking uh, it's about 130 okay so it's gone from 30 to 130 over the past 10 years which is awesome how how did you practically turn it around what 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 results have you seen since that time?
1: Um, so kind of the, the turning point uh, I would say was uh, me and my my friend Doug who's kind of right hand guy in the church and uh, was with me even at Michigan State, and uh, we went to Israel, and that was a very faith-building experience. Uh, if if anyone listening has uh, has been to India Israel, then you know. Uh, and if you haven't, you can imagine you know being on the Sea of Galilee instead of just reading about it, being in Jerusalem, the old city, uh, was was amazing. Like it made the Bible come to life like never before. Um, but there was really, there was a conversation I had with Mike Fontenot uh, there in Bethlehem that could have happened anywhere, but it happened to be uh, at uh, in Bethlehem. So I don't know if that added weight to it or not, but it was a very brief conversation. And I just, I was like, Mike, what do I do to get this church growing? And uh, he just said, have high faith and high expectations. And that you have to have both really believe uh, that God wants to grow your church. And I think... You know, after years of stagnation, you start to to not believe that, and then if you're leading the church, you're not leading people to be faithful and to believe that. So that's a that'll hold you back, and then also to have high expectations. And there's so many tem- there's such a temptation to take shortcuts when you're not growing, uh, but it's so important to keep uh, the the level of commitment and and the standard high um, and call people to that. Um, but both of those, you know, I think kind of get worn down through years of stagnation. And so it was a great reminder. I came back with tons of faith and really just felt resolved to uh, to help the church have high faith and high expectations.
0: Wow. Okay. So someone, someone here. this sounds kind of like a Damascus Road kind of experience here where you just kind of had one talk, and you just fell down and just like, oh my gosh, this is going to turn around what did you practically do because there's people listening that are maybe be leading a, a bible talk that hasn't baptized somebody in several years and and they hear high faith high expectations and they're like okay i've, I've kind of heard that before i know you should have faith and expectations but you know put put some put some clothes on that put you know flesh that out for me what did that mean practically going back you came back you're you're pulling yourself up by your bootstraps what did you do
1: so um, a couple of things, one for each that I can think of uh, tangibly, um, both kind of rezo- revolved around uh, conversations. And when you have a, a small church or a, even something like a Bible talk, a small enough group, you, c- you can really be conversational, but still inspirational as you talk. Um, but it's not just the leader talking, it's getting everybody to, to as, a, as a church culture, to contribute and believe. And so you have to give everybody a voice. And so, uh, one of the things we gave people a voice in was, what are we going to expect? And so, we had this uh, night. We called it a throwdown, and uh, really, it's 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 uh, like the sacred assembly. If if you've read Edin Anton's book, uh, Repentance, or really the book of Nehemiah, uh, where where it comes from there. Uh, but we, you know, I just read scriptures about you know about sharing our faith and making disciples and being hospitable and giving and um bringing people to church and 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 after every scripture said you know what what do you think this looks like to do this and had people respond and then they uh and then asked you know is this who we want to be is this the church we want uh to be and everybody wanted that um uh, they just needed i think some some direction they needed to hear the scriptures have a chance to talk about it uh i think sometimes as leaders we can feel like uh, the people just their hearts aren't in it. Um, I think that's very rarely the case. Uh, they just, that People's hearts just need to be inspired and led uh, and given given that chance. And so I was so impressed by the heart to want to repent and have those high expectations. The other thing we did, uh, so with, you know, if you just have high expectations, people can start to feel like you're just cracking the whip. And, you know, this is, you know, like, like Solomon and Rehoboam kind of uh, situation. Uh, and so we also gave people a voice just to talk about uh, their dreams. And so we had, we got this dream, we had a dream session. Uh, so a throwdown and a dream session. In the dream session, we just said, what, what can God do here in Lansing? Um, and we came up with this idea that, well, maybe God could use our church to help save 1% of the Lansing area. Lansing's not a huge uh, area. Most of your listeners maybe have to look it up on a map, but if you look at, <laughs> if you look at your hand, it's in the middle of your hand. Michigan's the uh, shaped like a hand, so that's pretty easy. Um, and uh, and but it's about four hundred thousand people, and we even accounted for growth. And we thought, well, if we could just save one percent of the Lansing area, that'd be four or five thousand people. Um, and but then we thought about more, you know, not just the numbers, but what would that do to our area. And you can see even as we're in this uh, COVID-19 crisis, how, how radically things can be changed, uh, even by something very small, uh, like a virus. And so, uh, you know, we thought about how we would, you know, change the, the schools by having more disciples in our area. Driving would uh, be better because people, 1% of people would be kinder on the roads. And uh, just the trickle down uh, that would happen uh, if, uh, if, if we just had one out of 100 people Really following Jesus, if, if God would allow us to do that and have that impact, and so that's still a dream that we have. Um, but I think putting a dream out there and then having people talk about it, um, like we've gotten on our backs and just looked up at the ceiling, and uh, it's kind of a funny thing to do for a midweek service and just talked about what could God do. And so, you put that together uh, with the high expectations, and uh, you know, if you only have high faith but low expectations, then it's it's kind of like Smoke and mirrors—it's not real—but uh, he put them both together, and and I think we've seen God do some pretty awesome stuff.
0: Absolutely. Now, did so you had the the throwdown, which was kind of a group repentance, and then you had the dream time, which is powerful. How long before you start so, before you started to see changes and and progress and growth and baptisms and things like that?
1: Um, you know, we started to see things uh, pretty quickly. Uh, I think uh, people. People got so for for a church of 30 I remember I think it was in 2009 we had 16 baptisms um, and so uh, that was and that was huge and it, it and it, it felt like well what is what is happening here this is so amazing um and then that momentum really really uh kept kept us going and growing for a while uh, which is super awesome
0: Okay, so it happened in 2016. That's when this whole turnaround happened. Or 2009.
1: 2009 yeah. Okay, yeah, 16. That's great.
0: Okay, what, what were the biggest obstacles that you faced? I mean, was there blowback? Was there resistance? Were there people like, hey, what are you doing? Why are we doing this? What did you face there in terms of obstacles?
1: Um, you know, I, I can't think of specific obstacles besides just uh, the things you deal with as a church leader, uh, people falling into sin, and the occasional... Like super critical, uh, almost persecution type type thing, and uh, church discipline issues. I would say I think overall, one of the focus uh, focuses I had to shift uh, from was really focusing on going with the people who want to grow, um, and I think that uh, that's not to leave anybody behind, but uh, but there's always like an even if it seems dead in some areas, there's always an undergrowth. And if you really fertilize and, and, and work with that, um, God makes the whole thing grow through, through that. Um, there's never going to be a time where everybody's growing um, because we all have spiritual ups and downs. And so I think as a leader, just focusing more on that's really helpful.
0: That's, that's a great takeaway right there. So many times I I'm preaching and I'm thinking about the people that are struggling or the people that are, you know, dragging their heels and, and, and uh, it's it's so tempting to focus on that rather than the people that there's so many people that are eager to grow and actually directing your your leadership toward them. You you are one of the most interesting people that I know of, Joel. And we've only met maybe just a little over a year ago when we first got to know each other through the Look Up Small Church Leaders Conference. But I'm always learning new things about you. You love Michigan. You don't like to travel. You've been in the same church for a long period of time, which is unlike many other people. Uh, tell me about that. Tell me you know how, how do you how do you keep your spiritual fire and ambition burning brightly? what what is it that gets you up in the morning?
1: Um, man there's a lot there. Yeah, it is strange. I think uh, I, I don't like to travel and I do love Michigan. I feel I feel called. Um, you know Michigan in a lot of ways is a great state. Uh, but in a lot of ways, uh, it's a it's kind of a, a struggling place. I don't know how many people, uh, given the the choice to live anywhere, would choose Michigan uh, besides maybe me. Uh, and uh, and I feel like somebody's got to just love it. And so I do. Um, and uh, and I think that, you know, Michigan has 10 million people. That's uh, maybe I'm not ambitious enough, but I feel like that's that's a huge uh, amount of souls. And if I could have an impact just with that. I'd be super grateful to God. So um, I, you know, what gets me up in the morning, I love, I love spending time with God. I love time in his word. Uh, Michigan has great forests and no matter how much snow is on the ground or what the weather's like, I love to get out and walk and talk to God among the trees and uh, and, and get inspiration in that way.
0: Yeah. I, I had to laugh. We had a, um, we met a few months ago for a planning meeting for the next small church leaders conference. And, uh, Joel, you went you went out for a prayer up in the Rocky Mountains, and it was I think it was one of your first times ever being in the Rocky Mountains or even seeing mountains. Yep, it <laughs> was the first time. I just had to laugh. I thought, oh my gosh, now that's a person who loves his particular mission field. That's pretty awesome. Now, what advice would you give Joel to a person, a man or a woman? who wants to make a difference, who maybe he's recently graduated from college or, or maybe middle aged that doesn't, doesn't really matter, but who's saying, man, I want to make a difference. I want to do something right where I'm at, you know, in, in the state I'm in or in the country I'm in. And we're talking to people literally around the world here. Um, what advice would you give them on how to live a no regrets life?
1: Um, I think the, the biggest thing is don't be afraid to try new things. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, get lots of input, and uh, you don't need to reinvent the wheel, uh, more than likely, but, you know, we have uh, in our churches uh, great, a great history, great culture, great resources, uh, but there's, there are so many, uh, just, there's so much value to, to thinking fresh, uh, and trying new things, and, uh, and then the, the, on top of that, I think the Maybe the bigger thing is when that new thing you try doesn't work, try to be as quick as you can to recognize that and then try something else again uh, and keep trying and trying. Uh, I, I think about like the image I have in my head of how I lead the, the church. And I think a great way to think about leadership in general uh, of people is like you're trying to start a lawnmower uh, that won't start. And so you don't just pull it once and then go buy a new lawnmower. Uh, you got to keep on pulling uh, and uh, and working with it until it fires up, uh, and uh, and so just just keep trying new things is a great way to have uh, a no regrets life.
0: That's powerful, and you are one of the most unique and interesting people that I've met in a long time, um, especially with the, the, your creativity. You wrote a book called Passport to Contentment. Passport to, was that right? The land of enough. The land of enough. Okay. But it was shaped like a passport. And and, um, that was really powerful. And and you had all sorts of fresh ideas about what people could do to imagine living in third world countries. Um, You also came up with a book called How to Be a Missionary in Your Hometown. And it had like a whole campaign and program that we actually did in Tucson. And it was really powerful. And it gave people inspiration to love the Tucson area, and I, I thank you for that. But you're always coming up with fresh ideas, fresh uh, insights, different programs. You've got all sorts of stuff bubbling up in your mind. I'd like to ask you, like, where where where'd that come from? Like, where, where's that? How did that start?
1: Um, you know, I I think uh, a couple things. So I I love I love praying. Um, and I think over the years, my my prayers have become a lot quieter. Um, I listen, and uh, I, I feel like God speaks to me, um, and uh, and gives me ideas. I present what's going on, and uh, and then I, I get ideas, and then um, and then try to act on them. I think a lot of the things that uh, we've done have kind of come from. Uh, I think necessity that you have to, we, I felt like I had to think, We had low resources, low connection. Uh, and so creativity was a way that we could, um, have, have more and and have more impact. Uh, and so I felt, I felt like it was really just what, what we had uh, to work with and and trying to expand that.
0: Okay. That's powerful because we've got people listening that, have very small budgets, maybe zero budget, and they're thinking, "Man, I'd like to do stuff. I'd like to try this, but I don't have a lot." Um, any any thoughts for them?
1: Um, yeah, I think that I think there is so much uh, that that you can do. Um, again, by not being afraid to try new things um, or to really like look at what other people are doing, adapt it for your situation. Uh, one of the things with you know leading in the same church for 20 years uh, is that uh, I get tired of myself. I can't imagine how some people who've been around for a while feel, uh, but but we you know but God is never boring. And so if I'm if I'm making it boring, uh, that's on me. And so I want to think of new ways to engage with people and uh, to make uh, to make things exciting and fresh. Uh, and so you know we've, the the Bible is is a done deal. And so it's, it's taking the same texts you know, the same things that everyone's reading uh, in their devotional times, but, but new ways to engage with it uh, and use uh, the word of God to be powerful.
0: Well, that, that leads into something that you've done this year. I think it's called the Bible 2020 and you're having people do uh, devotionals every day on video. And this was before the coronavirus. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, it turned out to be a, a, godsend uh with the coronavirus because so we started we had the idea i had the idea um in 2019 i i plan the church's year really early like i i have an idea usually by spring for next year's whole uh year of sermons and series and all those kinds of things and then by the fall i've got it detailed and then obviously there's always room for the holy spirit to to change things uh, as he often does but, uh, but the, the thought for this year going into it was that we would do this thing called 2020 Bible Vision. Uh, made a website, 2020biblevision.com, and, uh, and asked if any of the other small churches in the Midwest family of churches, that's our, our group, um, wanted to do it. And so DeKalb and Fort Wayne wanted to jump on with us, which has been really cool. So every day, it's a, it's a read through the Bible plan, uh, cover to cover. And our three churches are all reading the same chapters every day. Uh, And then it's six days a week. And uh, every day, somebody from one of our churches uh, writes uh, like a one-page blog post about what they read, how they saw Jesus, how this impacts them, uh, and then also does a a one-minute video. And so all of the members in our churches, when they wake up in the morning, they've got uh, this, this devotional in their email inbox or on their Facebook page. And it's, it's just been really encouraging. And then we're preaching. Uh, the sermons are coming from what we read. And so it's, it's a great way to have an immersive and engaged uh, year uh, as a church. And uh, and certainly has helped uh, to give some uh, continuity while we can't uh, meet together physically.
0: That's inspiring, but also a little overwhelming. And I, th- I think that, you know, hearing that, I go, Whoa, that's a, that's a lot of work. It's clear that you're really organized. And for someone like me, that's kind of more like, you know, seat of the pants type. And, and I go, wow, where would you even start there? Do you have any resources that you could share with someone who might be interested? Like, Oh, I'd love to do that, but where would I even start? Or is there some way that someone could contact you and say, adapt at least some part of that? Cause it's a fantastic idea.
1: Yeah, I think uh, anybody who uh, who wants to get a hold of me and just talk about church planning, um, uh, I can send the spreadsheets and the the brainstorming uh, documents that go into each year's uh, plans for the church. Uh, I'd love to share those things.
0: Okay, terrific. That's that's great. And, And what I'll do is make sure and put those links to how to reach you, Joel in the, in the details of the podcast so that people can reach you. Thank you so much. And you've helped me so many times. I appreciate that. And I think that's going to be powerful for our churches around the world. Now let's, let me go back here and um, ask you this question. Do you have any regrets? I mean, do, is there anything you wish you could just, when you look back over, over your life, you go, I wish I could do that differently.
1: Um, you know, that's an interesting question. I I would say I don't have any real regrets. Um, because I, I, I guess I choose to focus more on the grace uh, of God, but at the same time, I've made a ton of mistakes. And so the, the, uh, you know, I, uh, I love sharing the ideas and, uh, so grateful that I've been able to, to write a couple of books based on some of those ideas and help some small churches. Um, but really it, it always ends up just being, uh, you know, talking about all the good things that have worked. And, uh, and I think it's, it's the grace of God that I've, I've probably forgotten a lot of the bad ideas. That's right. That's uh, and, uh, and I think God's given our church a short memory as well. Um, uh, but I, you know, I could think of, uh, different, different things. I, uh, at one point tried to, uh, get the campus ministry going at Michigan state. We're having a hard time, uh, rebuilding that. Uh, and, uh, we even moved, uh, and, uh, and I really thought God was calling, us to do that uh, he was not uh, as it turns out nothing happened except it was just a rough rough year uh, and we moved and we ended up moving right back to where we had started with no campus ministry and um, and then a year later uh, god uh worked through some of the midwest churches to send us uh nine students for three weeks and in those three weeks it was like instant campus ministry uh we in the next two months after they left we had uh, like 12 baptisms, we had a campus ministry. And so I think I was trying to do it on my own, uh, and God had different plans. Uh, and it wasn't even at the same school that I was, you know, we're trying to get it going at Michigan state, but Lansing community college was like five blocks from our house. Uh, and, uh, it was a real, uh, a real
0: lesson. That's, that's, that's a great story. You may have already told me this, but tell me about a time when you came back from a setback or failure. And what advice would you give to people who are dealing with failure and discouragement? I think, uh, you know, the mindset of, as a disciple, it's, it's challenging. There's times you really get knocked down, knocked off your feet. Um, can you share, can you comment on that?
1: Um, yeah, I think definitely, I mean, as a church leader, uh, Paul talks about um, just facing daily, the concern he has for all the, the churches and, and I think about just the the weight of of people's souls uh, that we feel, and so you know every everybody who leaves or who doesn't make it uh, that that's heavy, um, and uh, and so but I, I think it doesn't doesn't do well to dwell on it, but it's it's a it's a real thing. Um, I think uh, you know just having trying to be courageous uh, every day uh, knowing, knowing that God's bigger than whatever uh, you're facing. And then so many times those, those, those bad stories turn good. And that's, you know, that's the message of Good Friday and Easter. God is able to take the setbacks, uh, and make it a setup for a comeback, right?
0: That's right. That's right. Besides the, the, the Bible vision 2020, what are some of the things that you're doing and experimenting with during the coronavirus pandemic?
1: Um, so uh, I'm getting a lot of help from uh, our, our campus ministry, couple, they're awesome, Alex and Cassie. Um, uh, I just turned 40. So I was like, I turned 40 and I don't know how to use a computer anymore. Just like that. <laughs> but uh, so I'll take, I'll take the help. Uh, but uh, actually, uh, so they, we've been doing a lot, like we're doing uh our services, I think, we're, we it took us a, a little bit, but we've got a pretty good groove going with that uh, on Facebook, and then we do communion together on on Zoom right afterward, um, and that's been that's been pretty encouraging, and uh, and I think people see how uh, how hard we're trying, and that and and so that that's encouraging, and then uh, we've been putting out a family devotional every Sunday night at six um, on Facebook, uh, and then. Uh, Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, there's a kids challenge. We're really trying to keep the kids engaged through all this. You know, they don't get to see their friends at church. um, And I think, uh, you know, there's just a missing fellowship uh, in their life as well. Um, And uh, so we want to make sure as much as we can to keep them included. This week, the first Sunday of every month, we always have the kids up uh, and do a devotional in front of the whole church for the kids. And so we're trying to keep that tradition going uh, and having the kids be a big part of our video services on the first Sundays of every month. So I'm really excited about that. That's great. Uh, yeah. What,
0: when you say kids channel, what what does that mean? What's that look like?
1: Uh, it's a kid. It's like a parent's page on our Facebook.
0: Okay. So, so it's like a resource area. Yep. Okay. That's, I'm just writing this down. That's really good stuff. I know uh, three weeks ago, right after we entered into the lockdown and quarantine, I, I called you because I thought I need to get some help from Joel and find out what you're doing and your ideas of pre-recording the main service and then breaking up into fellowship afterwards through zoom that really helped us. And it's, our service has made a huge leap over that since that time. And I sure appreciate your advice. You're definitely a go-to resource when it comes to fresh thinking and technology. Amen. Yeah, um, you know, you know, Joe. You're an interesting person. You you strike me. You know, like I could see you working in NASA. You know, behind the, the computer data, data banks, or working as a financial analyst. You you strike me more as a, a technically oriented person. You you're you're very composed. You don't you don't strike me as like a a loud and crazy you know preacher or anything like that. You you really are a person that's uh, very well put together. You know, you you have a certain personality type that I I don't think I would necessarily associate with like uh, you know a, a guy who's front and center all the time, always out there. Tell me about how you've really, you know, just used all your talents and applied them to church leading and leadership in general.
1: Um, yeah, you know, it's not the first time I've heard that kind of an assessment. I like that, uh, and I, I so I'm kind of like a type B plus, I would say, uh, where I think a lot of uh, a lot of church leaders would probably be more type A. Um, And I think uh, part of that is, I think I feel like I was kind of thrust into church leadership at such a young age that I, I needed to learn how to be uh, composed and not as emotional as a, as a young person would be. And that's kind of, I think that's kind of stuck with me. Uh, And so you know, uh, I mean, I, I can get fired up and, and, and yelly, but I prefer to uh, use creativity. And then I, was a, I was a history major. And so even in my preaching style, it's maybe more uh, teaching and, and using um, biblical, historical, cultural, contextual examples. Uh, and, uh, and I think that the, uh, the, the church responds pretty well with that. My goal with a sermon is that people would remember the passage uh, because of what was preached more than uh, remember me or the sermon. Uh, I feel like that's honoring uh, the word.
0: Well, that, that's why I, th- <clears throat> I want to bring it up. It's I think sometimes people feel like, you know, I don't really have the personality type for ministry or that's not who I am, or I'm maybe more introverted or more intellectual or this or that, and I don't seem to fit the profile. And yet, Look at you! You are your own guy. You, you're very comfortable in your own skin, and you're making your church grow. What advice would you give to people that are feeling like, "Oh, I can't, I can't do this, or I can't lead, or I can't do what God is calling me to," because I'm, I'm this way. This is how I am.
1: Yeah, I think. I mean, I think the world is filled with all kinds of people, and so it takes all kinds of people to reach, uh, to reach everyone. And, uh, and I think. You want to surround yourself with different uh, personality types so some of my best friends the uh, people i really lean on for advice uh, are more intense uh, and uh, and that helps me greatly it's not always smooth but it's it's good uh, to have lots of different uh, influences so you yeah. can do it
0: that's right that's great thank you thank you you're around a lot of people you know a lot of people who and you recently did a survey of of churches that are that are growing and different things like that. Who else do you know that's really standing out and growing? I, I know that you could share a lot of people, and but is there anyone that you've got your eye on you go, that person's really doing well?
1: Um, well, there's this guy, Rob Skinner. Okay. He's, okay. he's always <laughs> doing a great job with whatever church he's leading. Um, and then, uh, obviously, Joel Peed, who uh, is, we're kind of the small church task force, and he's, for being such a small... Uh, leading a small church to already have planted a church uh, in Duluth there with with the help of Minneapolis I think that's uh, phenomenal and something that that everybody should be looking at Uh, how did they do that how can how can even very small churches start new churches Um, uh, I've heard great things about what Will Archer's doing in Virginia Um, and then I think uh, for for English speaking uh, churches, it seems like in Australia and New Zealand, uh, there's some uh, great great uh, brothers that are that are growing churches there, and, and I, I don't think that their culture is as uh, inclined to Christianity as as much as ours is either, and so it's super uh, impressive.
0: It is impressive, and I recently did an interview with Mike Fontenot, and it, it's pretty powerful what's happening down there.
1: Amen. It's great.
0: Uh, <clears throat> you know, I, I, as a church leader, I, you know, I I don't do this. This is my hobby to interview other people, but what advice would you give me, Joel, to, to multiply churches? I, you know, I'm almost 55, 54 right now. And over the next 10 years, I'd really like to multiply churches. Um, you know, my prayer goal is to multiply 10 churches over the next 10 years. What advice would you give me?
1: Uh, I'm with you on that. I want to multiply churches too. So, um, it's something I think about and dream about, but I don't, Um, I don't, I don't fully know. I I do think that, uh, we've got to, we have to plant churches if we're going to grow more churches. And if we, uh, just, just have the churches that we have, um, that's not going to multiply. And so, um, that might be a super basic answer, but, uh, but I think planting a church takes a lot, uh, maybe not even necessarily a lot of resources, but it definitely takes a lot of faith, uh, and some creativity. Uh, and then the, I think the faith component is is letting a church go and figure things out. You know, supporting them, um, but but really giving the cities, smaller cities, an opportunity to have um, a discipling church in them and see what God does with it. And I think that we probably need to be a little more risky uh, if we want to see things
0: multiply. Mm. That's that's great. Taking taking risks. Well, is there anything else that you'd like to add, Joel? Anything that, that's on your heart that you'd like to share with people.
1: Um, yeah, I just want to say, hey, thanks for thanks for doing this. I'm excited about your podcast. Uh you're uh you're an inspiration. Uh and and I'm so grateful that we got to meet up and that we've been able to build this uh relationship uh over the last year or so. It's been a real encouragement for me
0: and for our church. Me too. Absolutely. Thanks for everything you're doing. Yeah, thank you, Joel. And I want to thank you today for joining the Rob Skinner podcast. It's been great to be talking to Joel Nagel in Lansing, Michigan. My goal is to inspire you to make this life count, to multiply disciples, leaders, and churches, and to live a no regrets life. If you enjoyed the program, I'd like to ask you a favor. Would you mind subscribing, rating it, reviewing this podcast, and sharing it with your friends? Let people know about this so that other people can benefit on how to grow their churches and how to grow as a disciple. Thank you.